0: Another edition of Fighting for the Faith Friday, September 17th, 2010 Oh, am I glad to be back in Indiana Two driving trips in uh, two weeks I feel like I've really uh, bonded with my truck driver listeners and friends Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. And my name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. You know what's funny is is that as I do this program... Uh, you you, 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 well, for lack of a better way of putting it, you kind of get into a routine. You know, I talk about the fact that people say crazy things out there about God, and I have a lot of passion for defending God's word and the truth. And, um, and then, uh, you go to a conference where you see, uh, thousands of pastors there, um, literally for lack of a better I, I i this is the only metaphor i can come up with they they they're like pigs at the trough eating up a bunch of garbage and sitting there praising god for the garbage and it uh, it was uh, oh man yeah well i'll get, i'll give details about this in a minute i mean it's uh, it's just absolutely surreal to be like the only guy in the building going, is it me or did that guy just completely twist God's word? Why are you all standing up and, quote, praising the Lord's Lord and giving him an amen when he the guy speaking has just completely mangled God's word and he hasn't told you anything truthful about what God's word says? Maybe I'm just uh, wound up too tightly. I, apparently, I don't know. So, yeah. <laughs> So uh, this is my first day back, and uh, obviously I'm going to take a couple days off. I did not even get home last night until three in the morning. <laughs> I I oh I came limping back into Indiana. That's uh, oh man, you know it, I didn't stay. You know, so where was I? I was at um, Perry Noble's uh, New Spring Leadership Conference. It was his very first. It was his inaugural quote leadership conference, and Perry Noble. Uh, makes no bones about the fact that uh, he is a pastor to the pastors in the uh, seeker-driven movement, in the seeker-driven and purpose-driven movement. And um, if uh, if Perry Noble is a uh, pastor to your pastor, then you need to talk to your pastor and have him uh consider you know privately bringing a uh, a pastoral malpractice suit against Pastor Noble because, oh man, uh. That's total. It wasn't a total train wreck. There was like two standout things. Uh, there were two things that stood out that were like, okay, this this not bad, pretty good, and uh, and then the rest of it, well, yeah, it was. Um, and and the, and the weird part about this is is that. Um, I did this, uh, you know, uh, the week after being at the uh, Big Tent Christianity Conference. Now, <laughs> I, the thing I took a lot of flack for uh, at the uh, attending the Emergent Conference, the Emergent Big Tent Christianity Conference, is is that I've gotten to know many of the leaders in the Emergent Church, and I consider some of them to be friends, um, and uh, I've taken heat for that, and, uh, and, you know, they break my heart because the, the more I've gotten to know them on a personal level... Uh, You know, their heresies, their false teaching, their denials of what Scripture clearly says, their denial that even certain portions of the Scripture are Scripture— just breaks your heart. It it breaks my heart. I mean, because I, I really, truly love and care for these people. Now, the funny thing is, is that uh, on the other end of the spectrum, the purpose-driven guys, actually the flip side of the exact same coin, uh, the, the seeker-driven guys, but I have no friends there. <laughs> None whatsoever. And it's not, <laughs> it's not because I don't, Try to reach out to them. It's because they've made themselves completely unavailable to. Uh, yeah, I can't. You can't break through the uh, the uh, the shield defenses that they've set up to uh, protect their little houses of cards. Yeah, and and that's what I think. What's going on? I mean, there's so many things running around in my brain. I, I tried to write down. Uh, before the program, you know, just kind of some quick notes, I mean, uh, regarding impressions of the stuff. And the reality is, is that it's probably going to take me a month or two to unpack everything that's on my mind regarding both the, uh, big tent Christianity conference, as well as, uh, uh Perry Noble's, uh, inaugural, uh, leadership conference. And, uh, oh man. It, but see I, the good news is is that none of you have to worry about getting upset at me for claiming that any of the folks in the secret driven movement are my friends i have no friends in that movement so yeah, and the reason why is because theologically these guys claim they claim that they believe god's word that they that the scriptures are true and they twist it every bit as much and and engage in speculative quote theology Every bit as much as as, as the uh, liberal emergence do, and so because they they give uh, verbal uh, allegiance to uh, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, lip service. They give lip service to the idea that God, the Bible's God's word, and then turn around and just mangle it and shred it to pieces and find things in it that are not there, uh, because they say they give lip service to the fact that they God is God, the Bible is the inerrant word of God. That uh, that what's happened is is that uh, they've built a house of cards, and uh, I come in, uh, you know, in a situation like that, and uh, I represent a windstorm. Yeah, the, I'm the guy who <laughs> goes, "Oh, really? That's a nice little house of cards that you've um, created." Hang, hang on a second here. <sighs> oh, oh, I, I I'm sorry, I I didn't realize it was so fragile. Yeah, and so what they they don't let me have ex <laughs> they don't let me have access to them. In fact it it it's it kind of a a contrast study on on the on the differences between how emergents think and uh, the seeker driven empire builders uh, think. Um, at the uh, at the seeker driven conference, I mean, after a uh, a leader would give his or her presentation. I mean, they were available on stage to, you know, you can ask them questions, you can shake their hands, you can spend time with them. You, you had unfettered access. I had unfettered access to Brian McLaren, Phyllis Tickle, Tony Jones, Doug Paget, uh, Nadia Bowles-Weber, Jay Baker, uh, you know, the, and the list goes on, and off, Philip Clayton, and on, and uh, Greg Boyd. I had a fine conversation with Greg Boyd. And, uh, and so uh, th- these folks are, they're not little demigods. And then you get to Perry Noble's Leadership Conference, and wouldn't you know it, I mean, the way this thing was set up, I mean, I thought I was at a rock concert. Now, I've been to a few rock concerts in my life. In fact, I'm one of the few guys who's ever taken his pastor to a Van Halen concert. Yeah, long story, but uh, yes, I did take my pastor to a Van Halen concert uh, a few years ago, and um, that was rather entertaining. Anyway, um, so, uh, you know, but I, having been to rock concerts before, I, I understand how things go, and I understand that there are only certain people, there are only certain people who are on the VIP list who have backstage access and you know a, a pass that allows them to go where the the normal rabble who have just who have come to attend the concert are not permitted to uh, come to and, and in fact um you know rock stars uh, you know they, they put on a stage show they're not there to shake people's hands say hey how's it going <laughs> no 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 they're they're idols, and and they they've got to keep their idol persona, you know, intact. And that being the case, that they can't just let any ordinary plebeians have access to them. In fact, the only people who ever really have access to rock stars are, well, those people who are really special in and of themselves, or those whom they graciously <clears throat> grant um, a, 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 an audience to, and that's usually done in in mercy and grace and it's usually limited to you know people who are dying of cancer and and so what i've noticed is is that uh, perry noble has decided to follow the rock star rock and roll concert model when it comes to granting access to uh, the leaders that he invited to come speak at his leadership conference and in fact um what i just what thought was just absolutely a scream was that there were st- there was a small select group of people who on their lanyard they had a a a pass that said uh all access pass and and then there was everybody else and what would happen is is that uh you know at uh, Perry Noble's leadership conference Perry Noble he kicked it off. I mean, he didn't want to follow any of these other guys and uh, I can see why. And uh and so Perry Noble kicked off it was the uh, the, the lead-off hitter at his own uh, l- leadership rock concert. And um what happened after that was is that um he and uh, those who were uh the the special uh, upper echelon, those who had the Seats of importance, the, the best seats in the house. Uh, they were up in front in a special reserved section that was really well guarded by um, uh, by the volunteers of uh, New Spring Church. Which, by the way, I I I, I want to give absolute I want to give props to the uh, the volunteers at New Spring Church in Anderson. Um, nicest people you have ever met. I mean, just absolutely dripping. With southern hospitality, I mean, you could not. I mean, if you had the sniffles, if you had walked into Perry Noble's church and you, you even so much as sneezed, there were three volunteers on you, uh, faster than you can say um, uh, purpose driven, and uh, they were offering you Kleenexes. They would open the door for you if they said, "If there's anything we can get for you, we will get it for you." I mean, the the I mean the the parking lot attendants i mean there was an entire army of them you in fact i i, I parked right up front in fact my uh, my uh, pirate uh pirate christian f j cruiser was right next to the ex the uh the r v uh, by the exponential conference folks, and it was rather interesting. Yeah, I, I, I when I show up to these types of conferences, I generally make a habit of showing up early so that I can get an obnoxious parking space, and I succeeded in doing that. In fact, um, my uh, the Pirate Christian Radio mobile was strategically parked in such a space that um, during the lunch hour, nobody could uh, get lunch unless they looked at my. At the Pirate Christian Radio, movie. it's true. It's you know. But anyway, that's um, I digress. So anyway, I mean, I just want to give absolute props to the uh, volunteers of New Spring Church. Uh, really, a great group of people.
1: So uh, okay, so uh,
0: my props to the uh, the volunteers, the great, great people. And uh, going back to Perry Noble and uh, the uh, fact that uh, only certain special people had any access to it. Well, what would happen is is that. At the end of every at the end of every of the plenary, every leadership sermon that we heard, uh, what would happen is, is that Perry Noble and his posse uh, would immediately stand up and 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 like like disappear through a a side door so that nobody had access to them. Nobody had any ability to shake a hand, say hello, say hi. None of that was permitted at the uh, at, at this uh, leadership uh, rock and roll conference that uh, Perry Noble and I you know what I think that just speaks uh, volumes as to the type of leadership that uh, Perry Noble subscribes to he is a he has received visions from god he is not to be challenged he's not to be questioned he's not to be approached by anybody he hasn't approved of he is not there to be a shepherd he's there to uh, to basically push forward with the vision that he 's received from God, and everybody else is basic they 're basically just um, the little people that are there to uh, help facilitate his grand vision uh, that that he says comes from god, and he 's not he 's not interested in making himself available or accessible on some kind of a personal level or for you to even have access to him without without having the proper credentials just uh, just absolutely fascinating to see this thing in action and um yeah um as for the uh, speakers um just kind of working through the thing it was it was just it was mostly a train wreck with a couple of highlights Got kind of a slight mixed bag but uh, for the most part a bad bag altogether uh Perry Noble, he led off. Uh, he he was the uh, start uh, starting hitter for his own uh, conference, and uh, he gave a fine, fine, fine uh, example. I mean, classic textbook example of complete eisegesis. I mean, he was finding things in the Scripture that nobody has ever found before. Why? Because, well, they're not there. Um, he, I mean, it, crazy stuff regarding uh, leadership that he found in the book of Joshua. And uh, apparently, principles that were there in the text that nobody has—I mean, in the entire history of uh, of Old Testament Judaism, all the way to present day Christianity—nobody has ever seen the things that Perry Noble found in the Book of Joshua. In fact, and 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 then he he also found something I I never knew this about Peter, but, but uh, Perry Noble made the claim that uh, the Apostle Peter. Did you know that he was addicted to activity? Yeah, Perry Noble made that claim. And it's like – so while I was um, at the conference on on New Spring Church's Wi-Fi connection, I I made sure to uh, hook up to Twitter and make sure that my observations regarding what was being said um, uh, were – well, inserted into the Twitter stream. Uh, and the hashtag that was uh, being used for that particular conference, and I pointed out the fact that uh, Perry was completely engaging in eisegesis and said that it was inexcusable that he would do that. Uh, and, and then we moved to to actually a a, a really a, a more than a more than pretty good a really good uh, lecture by Mark Driscoll of uh, Mars Hill Church in uh, Seattle. And uh, you know, I got to tell you, I I have a lot of respect for Mark Driscoll. A lot of respect. There's a couple of things that I, I you know, I still kind of roll my eyes and go, oh, that's dangerous." Regarding him, and the and the what that has to do with has to do with um, uh, his somewhat uh, embracing of um, spiritual disciplines, and which I, and and uh, some forms of kind of pseudo postmodern. Uh, Mysticism, uh, but aside from those danger flags that uh, make me go, okay, you gotta, you always gotta listen to everybody with discernment, including me, by the way. You have to listen to me with discernment. I don't have all the answers, and I've been wrong before. So you have to compare what I say in the name of God to the Word of God, just like you would anybody else. But that being said, Driscoll gave a solid, solid lecture yesterday and talked about suffering. And it was brilliant. It was, it was solidly biblically grounded. And uh, I, I was very excited to hear some of the things that he said. And funny thing is, is that in some ways, I could almost make the claim that Driscoll was preaching against many of the uh, practices and sloppy things that uh, the pastors that attend that conference are doing in their churches. And uh, I mean, he and he did not pull any punches, I, I don't know if you've noticed this about Driscoll, but he could be a little bit blunt and in your face, and um, and so I mean he, who, he, he he one of the, one of the quotes from Driscoll, he said that evangelicals are stupid. Yeah, that's what he said, and and he was talking about Glenn Beck and the fact that he's a Mormon, and and uh, and uh, wow, did he. Um, <laughs> He let people have it. Who You know, evangelicals who were partnering with Glenn Beck, he just uh, – two by four between the eyeballs. I mean, just wow. And what he said was absolutely true. And so, uh, you know, just – I thought that Driscoll gave a solid um, solid lecture. And then a gentleman that I've been watching for a while and whom I – I, I subscribed to his sermons and I had – I don't think I have yet to actually do a sermon review of his – is a uh, pastor by the name of Judd Wilhelty, and uh, he pastors a church in Las Vegas called Central Christian Church. And um, I've noticed a change in uh, his direction over the last uh, year and a half, two years, and he talked about it uh, from the dais at uh, Perry Noble's church, and I I think it was gold. I think that his... uh, his quote and the things that he brought to uh, the conference were probably the most profound and uh, it, it, let's say timely because uh, as we've as I've critiqued the seeker driven purpose driven movement and the circus church that they've created, uh, Judd Wilhelte of uh, Central Christian in uh, Las Vegas. I mean, he's one of the guys who is as guilty as anybody else as tur- uh, for turning church into a big entertainment extravaganza and um he openly admitted that he's repented of this and um made an impassioned plea for the uh, leaders at uh, perry noble's leadership conference for them to also repent and here's the gist of what he said i I don't have audio for this and uh and you know it'll be a a while before that audio is available but what he said was that uh You know, he had a great creative team. They had a a great facility. They have a great stage. A lot of of high-class, talented, entertainment-type folk who attend his church. And um, what happened a couple of years ago is one of the members of Blue Man Group, who has a standing uh, show there in Las Vegas, made a comment to uh, one of the staff members at Central Christian. And uh, the, 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 one, the, the member of Blue Man Group said to the staff members, said this, quote, word on the street or word on the strip is that the best free show in Las Vegas, the best free show in Las Vegas is, Sundays, Sunday, is Sunday mornings at Central Christian. Yeah, a member of Blue Man Group said to a staff member at Central Christian that the word on the strip is that the best free show in Las Vegas is at Central Christian on Sunday mornings. And when Judd Will Heltie heard that compliment given by one of the members of Blue Man Group, he realized he was doing something terribly wrong. and. He made the comment that when people leave the church building and they get out into the parking lot and they're talking about what happened at church, here's what he said. He said, if people leaving the church building are saying, wow, that was a great show, or man, that pastor sure is funny, or whoa, can you believe what they, ha- what they did on the stage today, that was amazing. He said, if people leaving church are saying those things, then he has failed because he's supposed to preach Christ, not himself. And so he confessed that for a while now he's been reeling all of that in, and that with each passing Sunday, many times he doesn't tell jokes anymore. Many times he's uh, he's giving his sermons in a far more sober way and has cut back on all a lot of the circus church elements because when people leave the church building and get into the parking lot, he wants them to say, Wow, what a great Savior I have in Jesus. Wow, I can't believe how amazing Jesus is. And that, to me, was the best thing I have ever heard from somebody in the seeker-driven movement. Yeah, I hope to have audio from that because I I just might have to play that audio over and over and over again because isn't isn't that the really the heart of the critique that we offer here at uh, at fighting for the faith for those churches that are giving people what they want and entertaining them to death that w- the the people aren't really being fed God's word they're not being taught the full counsel of the word of God and they're not hearing how great Jesus is instead those seeker driven entertainment driven uh please people with and entertain them to death pe- uh pastors uh, have actually become a bottleneck you know we we all know what happens when uh you, you're on the, you're like you're on the highway you're or if you're in southern california you know i grew up in california uh you, you know you're on the freeway and what happens when there's construction you know when they shut off three lanes oh it it is it's, it's awful i mean it creates a bottleneck so that nobody can get through and every and everybody is slowed down progress is impeded it's it's a terrible thing well in jesus's church it's not it's not my church it's not their church it's in the it's in the church of jesus christ the church that belongs to jesus those who have been set apart by the by, the work of Jesus Christ through His Word, through the sacraments, uh, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, uh, Jesus's people, Jesus tells uh, the church to go and make disciples. Well, discipleship becomes bottlenecked. Progress is impeded on in the task of making disciples in seeker-driven churches, and the bottleneck is all of the. Uh, Entertainment and all of the in, the the entrapments that uh, are, are there on the stage, the rock and roll show where they're where they're singing secular songs. The and by the way, that all of that stuff takes your eyes off of Christ, so that when people leave the building, they're excited about how cool their worship experience is, and yet they haven't even come close to experiencing or hearing anything about Jesus. And I think Judd Wilhelty uh, gave a really convicting thing. And then after lunch, um, it was, oh, man. It was bad. It re, I'm sorry. It, it was really bad. Then, a uh, big question mark, and then Stephen Furtick ended. Um, Judah Smith uh, was the uh, the fourth speaker yesterday, and uh, the only thing I could say about his uh, presentation was it, 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 it like Perry Noble it was adventures in Eisegesis and totally missing the point. I mean, I've never heard anybody he, never heard anybody talk about the the, the gospel story of how. Um, the disciples, you know, after you know, the feeding of the 5,000, they got into the boat and crossed the Sea of Galilee, and that that somehow that text was all—I had no idea. It was all about God's vision for the, these pastors and the ministries that they've called them to. Yeah, Judah Smith, I mean, he found—I mean, like Perry Noble, he found stuff in the Scripture that ain't nobody ever found nowhere, no how. And funny enough, the uh, that passage is all, actually all about Jesus, and well yeah, he made it all about them, and uh, boy, and then Francis Chan uh, got up to speak, and uh, I, you know, I've got a big question mark next to Francis Chan. I, it, when I look went back and looked at my notes, the the thing that kept coming up in my notes was uh, uh, pious anxiety. The, the, those were the two words I kept using and in, in referring to Francis Chan, and I think he's a brother. I think he's a brother, and um, I just. Um, it just seems like somebody who to me seems uh maybe tortured by some something, and I don't know what it is. I mean, that's just my opinion. So uh, pious anxiety is uh, are the words that I always wrote. I wrote regarding Francis Chan, and then Stephen Furtick got up to um and and got a free copy of his uh, book Sun Stand Still. It, it doesn't even come out until next uh, week, but we I got a uh, advanced reading copy. It says not for sale, and so um, I've got it, and um, I'll probably be reading it and reviewing it if I have time. So anyway, those are just kind of my initial thoughts on um, attending uh, Perry Noble's inaugural leadership conference. Um, And um, yeah, um, just amazing, amazing to see all, all this in action. I mean, I just... What has happened to Christianity when people? Uh, yeah, by the way, when Judah Smith gave his uh, you know his Adventures in ISIS uh, speech um, at the end of it, there were people standing up. I mean, he had the crowd up to their feet, and I, I think of why, why, why is anybody standing up? They should be asking, demanding that he step down because he completely mishandled God's word. Said they're sitting there clapping like, you know, how he found the most profound thing in the world in the scripture because they'd never heard any of that stuff because it's, well, it's not in there. So, you know, it was surreal. It was absolutely surreal to sit through this entire experience. And, you know, I'm going to be chewing on it mentally for a while, but I just you know, I wanted to kind of clue you, you know, give, clue you in, bring you up to speed as to, you know, what what it is that I went through. But, yeah, um, wow, it just... Head still spinning. I'm a little bit tired because I got in at three in the morning. You know, you know that's, you, that's what how it goes. You know, you you got to attend these things on a on a, on a budget, and uh, <laughs> my budget was driving trip and cheap hotel. But uh, anyway, but no, it was worth attending. And uh, I my my hope and prayer is is that Driscoll has more influence, and that uh, Jud um uh, uh, confession and 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 what he's repented of is repeated louder and louder in the seeker-driven movement. I think that would be a, a, a step in the right direction. But, um, wow, yeah, that's – so there. <laughs> if you want to ask me any questions, send me an email. I mean if you have specific questions. And what I'll do is um, uh, when I have uh, when I have the – when the audio is available for uh, some of the stuff that I saw and witnessed at the uh, – at Perry Noble's conference, I will take sound bites and uh, give you an example. Give you examples of what I've uh, what I've what I experienced, so that you can hear it for yourself. You know, because uh, one of the things I like to do here is to pass things along in context, because. Uh, I, I like doing long-form theology or long-form discernment analysis in that sense because I think you need a little bit more than a soundbite. So uh, I'll pass that along. As for the rest of the program today, I, all of that, by the way, was monologue at the beginning of the program, and here we are. We're well past our time for our first uh, break. When we get back from the break, I thought we would uh, listen to the latest prophetic headline analysis from William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse. And then if we have time... um. Todd Bentley's uh new wife uh this is the gal who was his babysitter whom he had the affair with at the uh, Lakeland um revival and uh if you can call it that um uh, anyway uh, I think her name is Jessa she she has a dream that she's uh you know r- apparently received from God and so she preached about her dream at uh, at Morning Star recently and so we'll be listening into that and then for a complete sanity break um I as I, I sat down to my computer uh, this morning, after you know, I I got in at three in the morning, and uh, and then I didn't, you know, I slept in just a little bit, and uh, as I was um, uh, sipping my fourth cup of coffee to kind of jumpstart my day. Um, I was checking my email, and I saw a, a an email from Pastor Jervais Nicholas Edward Charmley, and, and it, 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 the, uh, the the gist of the subject line was, uh, you know, was kind of like an emergency sermon to kind of like get the, uh, the the stuff that's been in my brain from the uh, Emergent Conference and uh, now the uh, Perry Nobles Conference out of, out of my you know to floss if you would um, you know run some clean water through there and get some of the muck out, and so. Uh, We're going to be listening to a a sermon uh, in the second hour by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. Fantastic law gospel sermon, by the way. And um, the name of it is called A Man to Stand Between, A Man to Stand Between. So we'll be doing—I'll be listening to Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley in the second hour. And then next week, uh, as audio comes available from either the— the Big Tent Christianity Conference or Perry Noble's Conference uh, will will continue to do analysis. Really think of it over the next couple of weeks. So um, if you, <sighs> it's good to get all of this off of my mind. Anyway, so I'm, I'm I'm so thankful to be home, sleeping in my own bed, not having to drive, you know, ten twelve hours. Uh, yeah, all of that kind of stuff. So anyway. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
3: Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian shirts. Oh damn! I can't say it. You'll have to say it.
1: Uh, what?
3: You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are.
0: Uh, I I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition.
1: Uh, nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know, I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who our do chief ex- weapons are our chief weapons are um purpose. Uh, Uh, vision. Okay, okay, stop,
3: stop that, stop that. Uh, Our chief weapons, are purpose, blah, 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick, read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough. Now, how do you plead?
0: We're We're innocent. innocent.
3: Ha, 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 we'll soon change your mind about that.
0: Dr. Rod Rosenblatt discussing the church's need for world class scholarship and the unique way in which the British academic model offered at the Wittenberg Institute can help provide you with a top level postgraduate theological degree.
1: Christians are dependent on good scholarship in a way that sometimes we forget. Think of Tyndall House in England. Some of those evangelicals were so ruled away from the big table conversation in the Church of England, that they had to develop graduate training under particular guys who had a high view of Christ and a high view of Scripture. Over the years, they did marvelous stuff with individual young scholars who
0: came there to be trained. So what's the difference between the European model and the American model?
1: The European is used to saying things like, I studied under so and so and the american uh that's pretty foreign and i'm not here talking about the diploma mills i'm talking about somebody who is tutored something like oxford or at cambridge and uh walked through graduate work
0: If you would like more information about the Wittenberg Institute's British-styled research master's degree, then visit them on the web at wittenberginstitute.org forward slash PCR or call them at area code 425-533-8659. All right, we're back. Warning, if you're trying to build a little religious empire, this show might just smash those dreams. Need to remind you all fighting for the faith is listener supported radio that means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring fighting for the faith to you as well as to the world you can partner with us financially by visiting our website fightingforthefaith.com and when you get there you'll see two friendly yellow buttons one says donate the other says join our crew and uh, when you join our crew you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of fighting for the faith and pirate christian radio and if you would like to partner with us uh, by sent, you know by specifying a particular amount, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Switching gears here. Um, yeah, I... <laughs> Need to get uh, Perry Noble and the emergent Perry Noble and the seeker-driven, purpose-driven guys off my mind, and so I thought I would, you know, go with the next best thing. And that William Tapley, the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. I mean, this is a guy who has obviously a prophetic gift for like finding the um, God's hidden message in headlines that no one would even think to look at. So uh, here is. Uh, <laughs> Mm -hmm. All right, here is uh, William Tapley, the uh, so-called Third Eagle of the Apocalypse and uh, the co-prophet of the End Times, although I'm wondering who he thinks he's co-profiting with. Um, He has a YouTube channel, by the way, if you would like to. uh, It's uh, it's YouTube dot com forward slash third eagle books uh, is uh, the way you would find it. And yeah, I mean, this is a guy who's obviously a false prophet. And the fun part is he tells other false prophets that they're false prophets. And so. Yeah, because they apparently miss all the important prophetic news in the headlines that he's the only one who sees the prophet. Anyway, here's the the latest edition of Revelation Unraveled. See if you can unravel any of this. Welcome to Revelation
2: Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times. Several amazing headlines recently show that the nation of Israel is fulfilling Bible prophecy, but not the way the false prophets would have you believe.
0: You know, it's funny, as somebody who uh, grew up in American evangelicalism, I mean, there is a huge emphasis on uh, Israel and uh, how that comes into some kind of prophetic calendar or timeline. Um, that being the case, I mean, I've never even heard any of the stuff this guy is finding, but listen in, see see if you can make heads or tails of this.
2: They think that the renewed Middle East peace process will lead to some kind of covenant between the Antichrist and Israel. This is another lie from Satan, because the Antichrist does not appear until the second half of the Tribulation period. Remember, his reign is for 42 months, and that won't begin for at least
0: three and one half years from now. The headlines that I am talking about—well, put it in your day planner. I mean, I mean that's good to know. I mean, serious. I mean, it's it's, it's just absolutely comforting to know that uh, the Antichrist won't show up at least for another three and a half years. I mean, I was hoping you know to save up enough money to. Uh, you know, go to Europe. I, I've never been. I'd actually like to, you know, go to Europe and and you know, may, maybe meet Pastor Charmley and a few others. But um, that being the case, I mean, it's good to know that I at least have three and a half years to save up to do that. So I'm, just, you know, out.
2: refer to the fact that Israel has allocated eighty-eight million dollars to promote gay tourism in the city of Tel Aviv. This is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Let's take a look at that amazing headline. A new website has also been built, Gay Tel Aviv. It starts off with a sentence encapsulating the...
0: He's reading from something he's obviously printed out from his uh, computer um some headline you know from I don't even know the news source but uh, he's reading from the news source and apparently the fact that in Tel Aviv they got two installments of 44 million dollars that that's some kind of prophetic
2: very essence of the campaign rising from the golden shores of the mediterranean stands one of the most intriguing and exciting new gay capitals of the world and the article continues Etgar Gear director of the Visit TLV organization said that the tourism ministry and Tel Aviv municipality invested 170 million shekels, about 44 million each in the project. Notice the 44 n times number.
0: I, I, I had no idea that 44 was an n times number. I just, huh, you know, again, I, I've been, well, how do I put this? I mean, I, I have a degree in religious studies and biblical languages. I mean, I I'm working on my second master's degree, and in all of my theological training, I just I had no idea that 44 was a prophetic number that I should be paying attention to in the headlines. It, it makes me want to go back and you know tell my professors. It's like, why didn't you tell me this stuff? I mean, here I could have been cracking the code the entire time as to when Jesus is going to return, and when the false prophet would show up, and but because you refuse to teach me these things, I've had to, you know, rely on William Tapley, the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, in order to, you know, to, well, interpret the uh, headlines for me to, you know, so that I know how to set my prophetic clock. I mean, but the good news is, is the Antichrist won't be around for at least three and a half years. Phew. I mean, so I, I better save every penny I have because I really wanted to see Europe before the Antichrist showed up. I mean, that's it's on my bucket list and you know since i'm getting older and i need uh, bifocals um you know i it's important that now as i start to get you know advanced in my age and um you know being an an, an underweight fat guy uh, that who who needs bifocals that you know as i get older and yeah you know, i mean i could go at any time now apparently i mean i it just could happen so um if, so I, I, I need a bucket list, and I, the good news is I have three and a half years in which to, you know, cross things off of the bucket list. You know, going, you know, well, anyway, here we go.
2: Not only did the false prophets miss this amazing article about Israel spending $88 million to promote gay tourism, they are also pounding the drums for the United States and Israel to attack Iran. They don't understand that this is the first Gog Magog war in Revelation, and that Israel and America will lose this war.
0: So let me see if I have this right. In the Book of Revelation, you know, we, we 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 when we talk about wars, we talk about like you know, World War I, World War II. So in the Book of Revelation, I had no idea about this either. There's Gog Magog one and Gog Magog two, and it, apparently in Gog Magog I, well, bad things happen.
2: The reason is. Because Israel has lost the blessings of God. The covenant, which did reestablish Israel, has been broken by Israel because they have broken Torah. They no longer follow the Ten Commandments, as we can see with their promotion of gay tourism.
0: Uh, Have you ever read the Old Testament? When exactly did Israel ever really keep the Ten Commandments? And were they not guilty of breaking Torah? The whole purpose of the law is not to save us, it's to show us our sin. Apparently William Tapley doesn't know that, but...
2: Revelation eleven eight, 8. And their dead bodies... Now, these dead bodies refer to the two prophets, Enoch and Elijah, shall lie in the street of the great city. Notice St. John does not call this city, which would be Jerusalem, the holy city. That's because they have killed the two prophets, Enoch and Elijah which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Notice in this passage that St. John first calls Jerusalem, and by extension Israel, by the name of Sodom, and then by Egypt. That means that the Sodom comes first, and we have already seen that, with Israel supporting gay tourism.
0: Ah, so in Revelation 11:8 when the Apostle John refers to Jerusalem as Sodom, what he was foreseeing was that there would be gay tourism in Israel. Yeah, totally. I didn't see that one coming.
2: Next will come the Egypt part, and that is when Israel is defeated in World War III. Thus, we see that the false prophets not only misread Daniel nine twenty seven which they believe is a covenant between the Antichrist and Israel, but they don't see a real fulfillment of Bible prophecy such as Israel spending 88 million dollars to promote gay tourism. The false prophets also misread Ezekiel and they believe that the United States and Israel should launch an attack against Iran. Now this false prophecy that America should attack Iran appeared on a Catholic website by the name of Corlysius, and the so-called prophet's name is Maurice Sklar. I believe he is a Messianic Jew. He says that God told him that if America does not launch a preemptive strike against Iran, then we will be hit with nuclear weapons. I believe exactly the opposite is the truth. If we launch a war against Iran, we will lose that war. Let's see exactly what he said on the core. Let's see his website.
0: Uh, yeah, wow, uh, this is apparently the you know, co-prophet of the end times calling other uh, prophets false prophets. And uh, yeah, that's uh, like the pot calling the kettle black, isn't it?
2: Concerning Iran. Now, supposedly, this is God speaking to Maurice Sklark. If America does not join in Israel in a preemptive attack upon Iran, and Israel has to go it alone, America will experience nuclear attack through terrorism. You must attack with Israel now or you will be attacked. So let me warn the Catholic website called Quirlisius and the false prophet by the name of Maurice Sklar that God never told you for America to launch a preemptive strike against Iran. America and Israel will not win this war. America will lose this war as prophesied in the book of Revelation. This is not the Gog Magog war in Ezekiel. That war is Armageddon. This war will be World War III. The false prophets have got to come to understand that Israel won their first three major wars because God was on their side, just as in the Old Testament. But also, just as in the Old Testament, Israel has lost the blessings of Almighty God. Why? Because they have not fulfilled the covenant.
0: Yeah, but Jesus did. Um, it, wh- Man, talk about utter confusion of long gospel. I mean, this is a Roman Catholic who argues like a dispensationalist. Good night. Let me pause. Let me pause right there. And uh, let, here is uh, Jessa Bentley. Um, this is uh, Todd Bentley's. Uh, well, let, let me have Todd Bentley introduce his wife. And this bizarre stuff here.
1: And I'm going to have my wife Jessa share a dream that she had. And I'm going to tell you what God's been speaking to me about. And I believe it's the key that's going to release the greatest miracle anointing for the church.
0: Isn't that weird? God apparently talks to Todd Bentley. You know what's funny is, is at the uh, the New Spring Conference... There's quite a few of the uh, leaders, the rock and roll leaders. Uh, now they weren't band members. I know. I'm not saying they're worship leaders, but they they were rocks. They have rock star status. You cannot get access to them without proper credentials. Um, they were constantly talking about God talking to them and speaking directly to them and telling them. They, they sounded a lot like Todd Bentley here. Jessa.
4: So a couple of nights ago, I had a dream where Oral Roberts was speaking to Todd. They were, I, I didn't understand what they're saying, but I remember they were talking. And then he looked over and he saw me and he stopped. And he ran over to me and he put his hands over my eyes and he said, what do you see? And so I looked and I didn't see anything at first. And then all of a sudden I saw this elephant racing across my eye. And Oral Roberts. Said he put his his hands over my eyes and said, "What do you see?" And I said, "I didn't see anything at first, and then all of a sudden I saw this elephant racing across my eyes, and it was it was dancing, it was going crazy, it was just it had this big smile, and it was just just going crazy." And I said,
1: "So
0: wait, okay, wait, 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 wait a second here. Um, you're you, you're saying that Oral Roberts, who's dead, um, he appeared to you." In in a dream, and then covered your eyes, and then there was a dancing elephant that you could see. Um, hmm. You know what that reminds me of? Um, see if this uh, you know, conjures up any memories for some of you.
1: Look out! Look out! Big elephants on parade, here they come, hippity hoppity! They're here, and there big elephants everywhere. Look out, look out, they're walking around the bed on their head. Clippity-hopperty, parade, in great
0: big elephants on parade. Yeah, you know, we're, this is from the movie Dumbo. And uh uh Dumbo saw pink elephants um after he had uh, accidentally had too much alcohol to drink. Yeah, Dumbo was, um, well, he was three sheets to the wind.
1: What'll I do? What'll I do? What an unusual view! I can stand the sight of worms and look at microscopic germs, but technicolor pachyderms is really too much for me.
3: <laughs> I I'm Type to faint when things are odd or things are quaint, but seeing things you know that ain't can certainly
1: give you a awful fright. What a sight!
3: Chase them away,
1: chase them away. I'm afraid, need your aid! big elephants on parade.
0: All right, so apparently, uh, Jessa Bentley is, um, she's seeing elephants in a dream with her eyes covered.
4: It's a, a wild elephant. I see a wild elephant, and then. I said, what's, what's with the elephant? He said, exactly. What is it with the elephant? And then I looked again, and in, in that vision, what was highlighted was the trunk of the elephant. I said, it's the elephant nose. And he said, yes. And I said, it's discernment. And he said, exactly. And then he says, do you see the lion? And I closed my eyes again, and then I saw the lion. And the lion, it was just a golden lion, and I woke up. And um, when I woke up, literally, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I just felt like the Lord was highlighting things to me about the dream. And in the dream, I thought it was pretty ironic that Oral Roberts put his hands—he covered my eyes and said, "What do you see?" And I thought that was interesting because he's covering my eyes. What do you see? And I felt like the Lord was saying that—that that even more so now for the church today, we need to walk by faith and not by sight. What do you see? You know, I didn't see anything at first until I really looked and I pressed in. You know, and I saw the wild elephant. And so when the elephant came running in and I said, what is it with it? So it's almost like, what's with walking by faith? How do you walk by faith and not by sight? By discerning the time.
0: So if I'm hearing her right, the elephant represents walking by faith and not by sight.
4: Big
1: elephants. Big elephants. Big elephants. I
0: hear a little bit more from uh, jessa
4: in the seasons just like the sons of ishkar discerning that's what gives you hope when you're walking through a hard time and you're you know walk by faith when everything around you looks dark and dim is discerning the times and season by getting a hope from god Um, getting
0: now what you are not seeing here is um something that's absolutely wickedly creepy and uh, that is, is that uh, she apparently she's gone into kind of Patricia King mo- mode. She apparently is getting a download from God, and I kid you not, she is shaking her head violently back and forth from side to side. And while she's doing that, she's still able to speak coherent sentences. It's um, it looks kind of demonic to me.
4: Getting a hope from God. No. To be able to see, to discern the times and the seasons that's ahead of you. And the thing about the elephant, it wasn't just an ordinary elephant. It was a wild elephant, a wild elephant. It was radical, 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 radical.
0: Yeah, you might want to go see a a real Christian pastor. They can cast those out and, yeah.
4: And the elephant means a great impact. And I really felt like what happened in Lakeland was just a beginning. It's just an introduction. It's just an introduction. Just a table of content of what's to come. And I felt like the great impact is greater, greater, greater. It's the great impact. And the greatest impact that you can have is bringing the kingdom of God to earth. It's a good event. Oh, bro. Counter of Jesus Christ to every single person. That's the great. Yeah, you know, this is what
0: happens uh, when you abandon sola scriptura. Okay, let me give, just let me give you a point here, and and that is is that the scriptures tell us that we're to test prophecies, and what do we to test them against the scripture? So think this through with me for a second here, okay? If anytime somebody claims that they are having a dream or a vision or direct revelation from God, that what we have to do is make sure that it measures up to the standard of Scripture. Are we ever going to get anything from those prophecies or so-called direct revelations that um, that, that either contradict Scripture or give us information other than what Scriptures really reveal? No. So do I need Somebody uh, giving me dreams and prophecies and things like that? No, I really don't. But if they come in, I'm going to have to test them against God's word. And, well, yeah, how do you take something that pretty much sounds like somebody having a a bad acid trip, um, you know, with elephants and everything, uh, preaching from the pulpit? Is God's word being uh, opened here? No. Is Christ being exalted? No. In fact, this is another one of those bottleneck situations where people are not hearing God's word, and the person standing in the way is the person in the pulpit. Um, yeah. All right, we're up on our second break. When we come back, a, a good sermon review. I, I This one, this one's therapy for me after what I've been through, and it's uh, from Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. So if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
1: No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
4: This is the air I breathe This
3: is the air I breathe I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio.
0: Are you tired of giving gifts that are as boring as elevator music? I mean, how many ties and dust-collecting paperweights does a person need? Well, Pirate Christian Radio has the perfect solution to boring gifts. The answer is Cloud 9 Living. Cloud 9 Living offers more than 1,600 unique gifts and memorable experience gifts in 42 cities nationwide. Gifts such as hot air balloon rides, dinner cruises, stock car racing, skydiving, and combat aircraft dogfighting. Cloud9 Living has gifts for every taste and every budget. For more information on Cloud9 Living, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cloud9. You'll be glad that you did. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time. I will admit that I am... (laughs) reviewing this sermon for therapy reasons. <laughs> I, I need to hear law and gospel. I need to hear God's word preached correctly. After what I've done for the last couple of weeks, oh man, uh, this is, um, well, you'll, you'll you understand what I'm saying. Uh, here we go. the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. Today's sermon comes to us via the UK Bethel Evangelical Free Church in Hanley at Stoke-on-Trent. I'm going to get that eventually. I'm going to have to have a talk with Pastor Charmley to make sure I can understand how the names work there. But anyway... Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley is the one preaching. This is a, uh, this is part of his sermon series that he's been doing in 1 Samuel. The name of the sermon is... A Man to Stand Between. Now, one of the things I want to uh, cue you in here is, is that you're going to hear a lot of law. And it's going to sting. It, the lashes of the law, the cracking of the law whip, are going to be severe in this uh, sermon, and they should be. Uh, at, when Pastor uh, Charmley is done preaching the law, yeah, you're pretty much gonna. Um, if you if you are uh, buying into self righteousness, you may not like him anymore. But that's okay. He's doing you a service he, you know, because we're to repent and be forgiven of our sins. And what, one of the things we need, to be, we need to repent of is our own righteousness. Yeah, it, filthy rags. But the other thing you're going to hear in the sermon is the gospel, and it's sweet. So Pastor Charmley does a good job of preaching the law in all of its severity, and he preaches the gospel in all of its sweetness, so... All right, let me kill the music here. Ah, you know, after spending this much time away from the studio, it, it, it's, it's going to take me a while to kind of get my uh, my, my timing back. And I, I just don't, uh, I feel a little out of sorts. But anyway, uh, so here's uh, Pastor Jervis Nicholas Edward Charmley, a man to stand between. Here we go.
5: Our scripture reading is found in the first book of the prophet Samuel. 1st book of Samuel and chapter 12. This chapter follows on directly from chapter 11, in which King Saul had been confirmed as king following his victory over the Ammonites. 1st Samuel and chapter 12. Now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you have said to me, and have made a king over you. And now here is the king walking before you, and I am old and grey-headed, and look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will destroy it to you. And they said, You have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. Then he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and His anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron, and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord, concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your fathers, when Jacob had gone into Egypt. And when your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought, them, who brought your fathers out of Egypt, made them dwell in this place and when they forgot the Lord their God he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab and they fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths but now deliver us from the hand of our enemies we will serve you and the Lord said Jobal. Bedan, Jephthah and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelt in safety. And when you saw that Nahash king of the Ammonites came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, and whom you have desired, and take note, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and, your, and the King who reigned over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord, and he will send thunder and rain, that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking a king for yourselves. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants, to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have done all this wickedness. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things, which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people, for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I would... I shall sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. We pray God's blessing to rest on this solemn portion of his holy and precious our text, our text this evening is found in the chapter that we've read, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, and I will teach you the good and the right way. A question that comes time and time again before us is, what is wrong with the world? This is the question that is being asked in the newspapers, on the television, on the radio, in all sorts of areas. People are asking, what is wrong with the world? We cannot look at the world as it is and think everything is right with the world. We cannot think that the world is as it ought to be. But rather we have to conclude something is wrong. What is it? And here, of course, people differ widely. Many, many answers are offered. There are some who say the problem is selfishness. the people are thinking of themselves and not of others. There are others who say the problem is that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. The problem is poverty is inequality. There are some who say the problem is lack of respect for authority. Others, the problem is the use of narcotic drugs. Yet others will say, no, the problem is religious extremism. What is wrong with the world? And all of these are symptoms. They are all symptoms of what is wrong with the world. The real answer is deeper than these things that we see. It is sin. It is rebellion against God. It is that mankind in general, and each man in particular, each human being in particular, is a rebel against our Creator. That our God has formed us in his own image. He has created us to give him glory. And instead, we seek to give ourselves glory. Or we attach ourselves to some other ruler. We are rebels against almighty God. What then is the answer to rebellion? The answer to sin? Well, there are some who say, well, the answer is this. You must do better. You must stop sinning. Well, the question is, how can we turn over a new leap? Ah, it's so simple in practice, so simple in theory, but try it. Try giving it all up. Try forgetting everything that you have done that is an act of rebellion against God. Every wrong thing, you cannot do it. The problem with the call to stop sinning is it is impossible what then is to be done? Well our chapter begins with all of Israel, all the people of God assembled before God to make Saul the king. This is the grand, the grand coronation. And Samuel comes before them and he says you are all rebels. They were all rebels against God they had said we want a king for ourselves like the nations they rejected god as their king what then was to be done the prophet stands up and he speaks and we see in samuel's message first of all innocence secondly iniquity and thirdly an intercessor so we have innocence iniquity and an intercessor We begin with innocence. Samuel stands up before all Israel and he says, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you have said to me, and have made a king over you. And then he demands them to bring evidence that he had done wrong. Now, of course, Samuel is not saying that he was without sin. What he was saying was that he had been a just and a good and a righteous ruler. In other words, he was innocent as a judge. Innocent as the ruler of the Israelite state under God. That he had not abused his position. He had not taken oxes or or donkeys. He had not cheated. He had not oppressed. He had not been guilty of bribery and corruption. And, of course, all of these are things that it's very easy, particularly in a situation like that, all those thousands of years ago, for a ruler to do. He has the power to take what he pleases. And Samuel say, I did not do that. But I ruled rightly, even though I could very well have abused my authority. He was innocent in his work as a ruler. We have here not a bitter old man saying well you've rejected me but we have God's prophet and the reason he has to establish his innocence is that he is now going to bring the whole weight of God's law down upon them. Because the work of God's law is not to establish that we are right The work of the Ten Commandments and the law of God is to establish all under sin. When I was a boy, I was growing up in the Church of England in Norfolk, and our little parish church had just the big nave and the chancel beyond, and the tall chancel arch. On either side of the arch, there were the tablets of the Ten Commandments one on the one side and the other one over the pulpit on the other side and if attention wandered in the service and it often did particularly in the course I have to say of the sermons that some of these visiting vicars would give one could always appear to be paying attention by reading the Ten Commandments And so, of course, I would be looking straight at the preacher in the pulpit, but paying no attention to what he was saying, but paying attention to the words written in decorative medieval Gothic script behind his head. Yet, of course, one can gain a great deal of profit by reading the word of God. And, of course, the commandments are found in Exodus chapter 20, And after a preamble in verse 1, verse 2, the commandments are, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any... Again, I go on automatically to the King James Bible because that is what I remember. You shall not make for yourself a carved image any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. is the law the ten commandments Jesus summarized the commandments by saying you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and you shall love your neighbor as yourself again that is the summary of the law again when I was a boy in the church of England in the communion service we would repeat the commandments We hear the commandments rather and say after each commandment a certain formula. But if the minister was feeling lazy or wanted to get through the service quicker, we would have our laws summary of the law, as it was always called. And the summary shows us that the Fulfilling of the law is perfect love to God and to our neighbor. Now, of course, there are those who say, Well, that is relatively easy. Is it easy? Because, you see, you can fulfill the outward commandments of the law without love. That is what the Pharisees did. They were very careful in what they did outwardly. But they forgot the law demands love. It is far easier not to make an idol and to bow down to it and worship it than it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your soul and all your mind. Because you see, the one is a mere outward action. The other is an attitude of the heart. It's very easy to refrain if we take the mere letterable law from murdering our neighbour, you may feel like it sometimes if he, for example, is given to playing loud music at certain times of the night, but it's very easy to refrain from actually doing it. But of course, to refrain From feeling angry towards him, now that is hard, that is difficult, that is impossible. When our Lord gave his Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus spoke, he dealt with certain misunderstandings of the law. And he said, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. He goes on to explain how the law is spiritual. The law did not heart Many years ago... The Conservative Member of Parliament, Enoch Powell, was in a debate with, I believe, a bishop, certainly a high-ranking Anglican clergyman. And the Anglican clergyman the saying to Mr. Powell, Well, you see the Sermon on the Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes the law easier. And Mr. Powell turned to that section and said, you tell me how that is easier than not murdering my neighbour. It is impossible with man. And so you see the law when it is brought before us and we see what the law truly is it condemns us. Well, Samuel was an innocent man in the sense that he had not abused his office. But when we see the Lord Jesus Christ we have brought before us a man who is innocent, holy and completely Samuel, you see, is the first of the prophets. Jesus Christ is that great prophet whom God would send. And so as we see the prophet of God, our mind must be drawn to the great prophet, to Jesus. And as we read this morning, the great work of the prophet is to reveal God. And so, John says quite rightly, no man has seen God at any time. God only begotten who is in the, bo- the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. Jesus is the one who explains God. The word declared here is the word from which we get the technical term exegesis. Which is the work of explaining what a text says. Reading out of the text. Bringing out of the text its content. Jesus is the one who reveals to us and explains to us God the Father and he does it perfectly because he himself is one with the Father and so when we see Jesus and his moral example we are condemned because here is a man who never did anything wrong here is a man who nobody could find anything wrong with and if we are brought to see Jesus in all his moral perfection, we are utterly condemned.
0: Because we all have sinned
5: and he has not sinned. And if all he is, is a moral example, then he condemns us all. Because he says, I lived to the glory of God alone. I love God perfectly. I loved my neighbor perfectly. You have not. Therefore you are doubly condemned. Because here is a man set before you who did all that you never did you never did what hope is there for us if we are judged by his example we are condemned Jesus teaches us our sin he explains that as he shows us the law and he rebukes us he tells us that we are sinners he says I have not come To call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so he rebukes our sin and shows us our sin. And so we come to our second point, iniquity. Here is the innocent one, Samuel, showing to us the innocent one, Jesus, and here is iniquity. Here we are. It is generally a safe bet when we come to a passage in the historical book. Historical books and you read the people of Israel, that is us. We are not, oh we would like to be the hero. We would like to be Moses. We would like to be King David. We would like to be Samuel. But we are the people of Israel. We are God's people who are called by his name. We are not the heroes. We are the people whom the heroes have to save. And whom the great hero, Jesus Christ, to whom all the scripture bears witness, he came to save us. We sing sometimes that hymn where we say, remember I'm the sinner whom Jesus came to save. And we must remember that. We are not the heroes, we are those who are in danger, who need to be saved. And it is not that we are in danger because of somebody else, but we are in danger because of our own foolishness and our own wickedness. We must be saved so often from ourselves. We have these sinful men, these rebels. Sin, as we've already said, is a rebellion against God. It began in the Garden of Eden. And in Eden, we find the temptation was this, that the serpent, Satan himself, a whole serpent as he is called, came to the woman, to our first mother, and said to her, as God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden. But on the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman you shall, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. And you see what the temptation here is, it is to be our own gods. Adam and Eve were given the temptation if you take If you disobey God, you will be like Him, you will be your own God, you will be as God. And that is the great temptation of rebellion, to set up, to say, I know better than God, I will follow my own desires, I will follow my own way, and I will reject this one. I will not have this God to reign over me. In a very real sense. The scriptures are monarchical. That is to say they hold out to us a king. Even God is the king of the universe. They are not democratic. There is nothing democratic in the Bible. The voice of God speaks to the people. And most often rebukes the people. Now indeed in human government... That is another matter. But in religion, there is to be no democracy. Because God has created us. And God has a right over us. And yet we are all rebelled. And what Samuel brings before them as he speaks of the history of Israel is this. That they have sinned against the goodness of God. God has done great things only consider what great things he has done for you verse 24 God has done great things for us he took the people of Israel he delivered them from Egypt they were slaves they were the lowest of the low they were not only slaves they were slaves who were under a genocidal decree that Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Egypt wanted to wipe out the Israelite race. They were slaves under a genocidal king and yet God brought them out. Slaves, they were helpless. They were hopeless. They had been slaves for generations and yet God delivered them. God had done great things for them. He took them out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea for them, and they went through the sea on the dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, the sea came back and swallowed them up and drowned them. They were brought into another land. They were given the land of Canaan, and God helped them to conquer it. And yet they offended against him. Yet they rebelled against him. And the great evidence of this was their idolatry. They served the Baals and the Ashgoreths, the Canaanite native fertility deities. a debased and depraved religion that made the human lost into a sacrament. They embraced these vile deities. Matthew Henry calls them dunghill deities. False gods worth only to be thrown upon the rubbish heap. And yet, instead of following the God who brought them out of Egypt, they went after these Canaanite deities, because it was easier worshipping the Canaanite deities. They rebelled against God, and we have all received such wonderful things from the hand of God God is a, the giver of all good gifts so it is that James the brother of our Lord as he speaks he, he tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of light, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning Every good gift, every perfect gift, everything which is good and beautiful and true in creation has come from Him. The sun and the rain, the rain that feeds the crops which we eat, the sun that ripens them, all comes from Him. All our food, everything. That we have come to her, yet we have rebelled against him, yet we have set up in our own hearts some other deity, some other king. We have rebelled. And the great sin that is brought out here is this. That they wanted a king. Because you see, the kind of king they wanted wasn't God's king. Now God would provide a king, God had provided a king. But God's king was a king under authority. We have noted that God's king is called the anointed one. Twice in this chapter he is referred to as his anointed, God's anointed. And the ceremony of anointing a king was not performed upon high kings. Upon supreme kings in ancient times, it was performed only upon vassal kings who were kings under the authority of a higher king. And so the whole point in God's king being anointed is to declare, this man is not your high king. This man is a man under the authority of God, but the king they wanted was a high king, a supreme ruler. With nobody over him. A king like the nations. And indeed many of the nations. Treated their king. As a god. The king of Egypt. Pharaoh. Was regarded as the son. Of one of the gods. And when he died. He was entombed with great ceremony. That's why they built the pyramids. And he was regarded as having gone to the spirit world where he was now among the gods. So that the kings of the nations were regarded at least as semi-divine. And we see an example of that today in North Korea, where Kim Il-sung, who has been dead for a good number of years now, is still the president. Why? because they might adopt a communistic atheistic system, but they have to worship something so they worship their dead president. And of course, the current president of North Korea is his son. He is the son of the god. And when he dies, he will be succeeded by his son. And so in fact, you have not a dictatorship or a monarchy, a monarchy or a democracy, or a republic, you have a monarchy by some other name, a god-king. Japan was ruled by a god-emperor until the end of the Second World War, when Emperor Hirohito gave up his divine status. One day he was a god, the next he was a mere mortal. But you see, the nations had their god-kings. And therefore, this king, setting this king up would be idolatry. He would be an idol. He would be an empty thing that cannot profit or deliver. Therefore, the king would deliver them. And yet, Samuel rehearsed in the history. He said, look, God delivered you from Egypt. God delivered you from Sisera. God delivered you from the Philistines. God delivered you from the Moabites. And now this Nahash, king of the Ammonites, comes along and suddenly it's, No, we need a king. We need a king to deliver us. Did not God deliver them all those other times? Oh, unbelief. And yet, are not our hearts like theirs? We forget so soon the deliverances of the Lord. And when a difficult situation arises then, we say, oh, we must have this, 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 and this. We cannot simply trust him. We cannot simply trust him. Oh, if we were to look back, and we were to see the deliverances God has wrought for us, And we would look at at our own hearts and our unbelief from, where is this fear and unbelief? If God has done so much and yet we do not trust him as we should. We put our ultimate trust in something else. Some other thing. Oh, that unfaithfulness is brought out when we see the faithfulness of God. So we come to the final point, intercessor. Intercessor. Sin deserves wrath. Our sins bring down upon us an eternal weight of punishment. Oh, one of the great problems in the world today is men do not see the sinfulness of sin. I was leafing through this afternoon this wretched little book that the Jehovah's Witnesses left the other day looking at what they thought of said and all It's his own. little oh it's merely being naughty children no it is being wicked rebels it is being murderers and adulterers and thieves we may read in history of rebels against the king, who destroyed the king's property. Not too far from his in Shropshire there's a town called Vignaur. In the Middle Ages, there was a great baron who lived in the, the old castle there, who was a vicious, vicious man. A man who liked to torture men to death and who put out the eyes of his own godson in order to extort money from the poor land. A man who rebelled against the king and killed the king's servants and plundered the king's castle and the king's other castles around and what do you think the king did? When he came against the rebel, he came against him with a huge army. And he took that castle. And he took that rebel and he took him back to the Tower of London. And he kept him there a close prisoner in misery until he died. That is what the great king does with a rebel who will destroy the king's property. And that is our sin. We are that great rebel. I am that great rebel who has rebelled against the eternal God and has abused and destroyed his property. And what
0: will the eternal God do to me? Oh, man. I, I, <clears throat> I hate interrupting, but, man, uh, how, how's your self-righteousness holding up? <laughs> yeah, mine's uh, obliterated. This is just brutal brutal preaching of the law, and this is what we need to hear, and this is the lawful use of the law. Primary use is to show us our wretchedness in need of a Savior. Now, he's going to turn the corner here in a minute, but uh, this entire sermon you know, has been dripping with God's law, and it's like, pardon the illustration here, but it's like Pastor Charmley has taken a whip, and he's chasing everybody down with it. Yeah. Oh, you haven't gotten hit by this thing. Hang on. I, I mean, he, he's just brutalizing everybody with God's law here, and it as he should. This isn't the just try harder kind of thing. This is the kind of preaching of the law where, at the end of it, you're sitting there going, "What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I I'm I'm a wretched sinner. Yes, you are." Hang on. Pastor Charmley has some good news for you wretched sinners. Stay tuned. He's going he's gonna to get to it in just a couple minutes here.
5: Well, God gives his demonstration here in sending the thunder and the rain in the wheat harvest time. Now, in the wheat harvest time in Israel, that is the dry season, it never thunders in the dry season in Israel. It doesn't rain, and when the rain comes in great strength and with thunder... Then it destroys the wheat. God is saying, I have given you all this wheat. And I can take it all away. And because of your sin, you deserve to have it taken. You deserve to perish miserably in your sins. And so as they saw the power of God, they remembered that there is a God. And they cry out, and yet... Here is the terrible situation of the rebel sinner, that he cannot come to God, she cannot come to God, you as a rebel sinner cannot come to God, however much you may want to. Isaiah speaks to Israel and he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, but it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, but it cannot hear. Israel are asking, Why are these terrible things happening to us? But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. So that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood. And your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. He goes on to speak of the sin of the people. What then is to be done? Just therefore justice far from us. Not as righteousness overtakes us. But. But. Verse 15 of Isaiah 59. Then the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice, and he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him, his own righteousness, it sustained him. Oh, you'll see, this is it. There must be a, an intercessor. There must be a mediator to stand between man and God, just as in the wilderness when Israel sinned and brought down upon themselves the just indignation and wrath of God then there was an intercessor then there was a mediator, a man to stand between we read in Psalm 106 and verse 23 that because of the wickedness of Israel therefore He that his God said that he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach, to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them, there must be a man to stand between in the breach, a man to stand between us and God, and to join the two, a mediator, an intercessor, a man with whom God is pleased, a man whom God has chosen. A man who is righteous and holy. And so it is that the people went to Samuel and said, Pray for your servants, the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. They came for the intercessor. They came for the prophet, the priest, the ruler. Because he could speak to God for them. Jesus of Nazareth is the great intercessor. He is the one who has borne in his own body the punishment due to us. He is the one who takes away, as we saw this morning, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The one who died for us, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That is his work, to bring Guilty, wretched, hell-deserving sinners to God. The one who comes for us, for our salvation. He is such an intercessor. The only perfect intercessor. Now, of course, Samuel was an old man who would soon die. But Jesus has died and risen again and lives forever. And so the author of the Left of the Hebrews says this. He says, there were many priests, because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to say to the uttermost, wholly, completely, finally, Those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them, he lives forever to intercede. And again we are told that he made intercession for the transgressors, And his intercession is heard. He eternally intercedes, far be it from me, that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, Sir Samuel. Jesus Christ never ceases to plead for his people. And therefore, indeed, as we sang in opening, there is a way for man to rise to that sublime abode, an offering, and a sacrifice of the Holy Spirit's energies, an advocate with God, even Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And so then we see in the innocence of Samuel, the innocence of Christ, and the law of God that condemns us. In the iniquity of Israel we see our own sin. That we all have gone astray. We all have sinned and are guilty before God and worthy of everlasting destruction. We all have sinned. In the intercessor we see the Lord Jesus Christ. who ever lives to make intercession for his people. Who will save, who he saves unto the uttermost all those who come to God through him. Because he ever lives to intercede. He died that we might live. He lives that we might never die. He is the intercessor. As one of the hymn writers puts it, intercessor. Friend of sinners, earth's redeemer. Pray for me. Where the songs of all the sinless sweep across the crystal sea. Oh, indeed, we all must say that. We all must go to the Lord Jesus' intercessor, friend of sinners, earth's redeemer. Pray for us.
1: Amen.
0: Wow. <clears throat> Amen. Law and gospel, sin and grace, Christ and him crucified for our sins, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. in Jesus Christ and his righteousness, his work placarded God's word properly preached. I mean, it does it get any better than that. Because what he preached was true. Who he preached was Christ. And he preached Christ for us. And not only that, he did it from an Old Testament text. Ah, oh, Medicine for the soul. Ah, oh, I'm weary and I'm tired. But I love to hear about Jesus even from an Old Testament text. Great stuff. Thank you, Pastor Charmley. (sighs) Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. Pick one. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And of course, if you would like to specify the financial uh, contribution that you would like to send in order to assist us, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it along to Post Office Box 508. 508- Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So, what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, pirate Christian. Until next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.